Welcome to the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast, your early warning system for everything that's coming soon to your city. I'm your host, Ari Hoffman. In today's episode, I had some plans last week about what we we're going to talk about this week, but some local events here that boiled to a head recently have changed my mind about what we're going to talk about. So, for those of you who live in Seattle, you've heard of a story called RV Gate. Well, we're going to get into the details of all of that. You're going to get all the behind the scenes material on it. I'm going to fill you in on everything that the news has not covered. But let's start from the top. What's going on in Seattle is for years and years and years in the industrial area, decades even, there were people who lived farther out of Seattle who couldn't afford to live in Seattle or had really nice properties outside of Seattle. And what they would do was they would bring their RV into Seattle, work the job four or five days a week, and then drive the RV back so that way they didn't have these really long commute times. They would just stay in Seattle. This was very prominent in the industrial areas, so these RVs were just always around and that was fine. Normal people living in them, no problem. Then what happened was about three, four years ago, the city's homeless problem began to grow exponentially. And RVs started showing up that were broken down disaster hazards all over Seattle, not just in the industrial areas. But there were laws already on the books that would allow these RVs to stay where they were for long periods of time. However, the city, because they are so compassionate, decide to start discounting laws about what is a street legal vehicle. So these RVs started creating these encampments made up of multiple RVs where the vehicle had no headlights, the vehicle had no wheels, the vehicle had no engine, the vehicle is missing half of it, it's broken in half. These things are not safe for people to be in. And what happened is some people realized they could take advantage of the situation. So what they started doing was going to auction houses of some of these repoed or banged up or RVs that are really for scrap, buying these things for 2500 bucks, dropping them on the streets, and then renting them out to people. How would they drop them on the streets? They would pick them up with ropes and an SUV and tow them all over wherever they wanted to go and just drop them and rent them out to people for like nothing. Now, there's people who are down on their luck who live in these RVs, but the majority of people, at least in my neighborhood, who are living in these RVs are dealing drugs out of the RVs, breaking into people's businesses, using them as a staging area for crime. So across the street from my office, there were two RVs that were sitting there for months before we could do anything about it. And these RVs behind them had tons of stolen goods, and you would recognize the things that were stolen from people who would post online from Ring or Nextdoor or wherever saying, this was stolen, I'm missing it. And you could see the stuff just sitting there. And calls to the police went, I mean, they were answered, but nobody showed up to deal with it. Why? Because an activist judge decided to cite the Homestead Act, which pretty much says nobody can come in and mess with you on your own property, your own house. And they decided to say that these RVs are classified as a house. And as a result, you can't mess with somebody on their own property. Never mind the fact that it's on city streets. Never mind they're breaking the law by not being street legal. Never mind that I would call and say that I've seen child prostitution going in, allegedly, outside of some of these things, that there was drug dealing outside of these things that we witnessed, that we had on film, that we saw these people breaking into my trucks and stealing gas and taking it back to these RVs. Never mind any of that. They decide we weren't being compassionate. We have to let the people live in these things. These things are not safe 
for human habitation. In fact, when you drive past them, you can always recognize them because they have tarps over the roofs and there's always water leaking in. Sometimes, as I mentioned before, they're broken in half. My favorite thing that they do is they will run off generators that they just drop on the sidewalk and these generators oftentimes explode and the RVs catch fire and then they explode. And there have been these awful, awful explosions that have damaged property, almost taken out buildings nearby. And landlords just see these things as ticking time bombs and they're not really sure what to do about the things. So they've tried calling the police. The police are handcuffed, for lack of a better word, by the politicians in town. And now you have this problem where you have these massive encampments. Every few weeks, few months, police come through with the navigation team. The navigation team is made up of social workers. It's made up of waste management guys. It's made up of police officers that offer services to these people. Would you like to go to a shelter? Would perhaps you like to go to drug rehab? Would you like to go get mental health treatment? I believe it's 80% of the people say no to any of these treatment options because they would prefer to live off the grid and do whatever they're doing. I remember one day I was out of town actually visiting my grandma. I got a call from my guys and they said that somebody had dropped one of these trailer RVs so it can't move under its own power literally right in front of my loading dock because they assumed the building was abandoned. And it was dropped off by one of these RVs with the ropes. And my guy said to them, they said, move. And the guy goes, no, you can't make me. And they said, watch us. Eventually the guy moved. This has been happening all over Seattle where these things are turning up. And a lot of them are engaged in criminal activities, especially breaking into the neighboring businesses to keep the RVs running. These ranchers, as they're called, the guys who buy the RVs at auction and rent them out to people are everywhere and dropping these things. And they're known. We know who they are. The drug dealers, they just if they get kicked off of one block, they go to another one. They don't want to be where they're going to be harassed. We had this problem at the Jewish cemeteries in Seattle where these guys parked outside. They hacked into the power of the cemetery. They hacked into the water, the utilities. They would come in at night and do drugs on the cemetery grounds. It got really, really bad. Take a look over in West Seattle where there is the West Seattle Health Club, and there were a bunch of RVs surrounding the property. One, it scares away customers because it looks seedy, it looks shady, and you see needles on the ground, and you see them running these generators, and you see seedy characters coming in and out of them. These things are not safe to be on the streets. One of these RVs lost control of its brakes and went right through the West Seattle Health Club into its pool area. It is a miracle that nobody was killed. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage when this thing came barreling through the pool area. And yet, the RVs were not forced to move from that area. They're still there. If you go on over there today, they're still sitting there. This has been going on now for three, four years at least near my neighborhood, and I've done everything I could to try and solve it. I've tried calling the police. I've tried calling the navigation team. I have tried everything. Seattle decided they're going to have an RV remediation program where they're going to give money to getting rid of these RVs. I haven't seen it do anything because what happens is you're talking about a giant game of whack-a-mole because when the cops do decide to come in and get rid of these things, they just move to a different block. It's the exact same RVs, just a block or two over. My bank, the whole area was covered with RVs. And more and more businesses are saying they don't want to operate here because people don't want to walk past these things, but also because they're breaking into their businesses and they're causing damage. And they can't make a profit when they're paying for this damage being caused all the time. So... Eventually, I got fed up, and I said to the city council that if they didn't do something about this, I was going to take matters into my own hands. 
What did I do? I wrote a letter to the city council and the mayor's office saying, I've had enough. I've tried everything. I've tried the police. I've tried it your way. I'm tired of the damages. At the cemetery alone, it was $300,000 worth of damage from all this kind of stuff. And my office, we've had tens of thousands of dollars of damage. It's enough already. It's ridiculous. So I said, if you guys do not take care of this and do not move these things, I'm going to tow the RVs myself, and I'm going to tow them to each of your houses. That got an interesting reaction. They started freaking out that I might actually do it. What's funny was that was not my plan because the legal ramifications of actually towing one of these RVs is astronomical because if somebody's inside that thing, they get thrown around, they get hurt, you're on the hook for that. It could be seen as theft of property. There's a bunch of things that could go wrong. So what my plan was, and I actually spoke to a radio talk show host named Dory Monson about this. What my plan was, was that we were going to buy some of these RVs at auction. And then we were going to tow them to the city council members' houses. And it would just be nice on display of their hypocrisy because you always see these things in other neighborhoods, just not near their homes. This is what happens regularly. This is what you're talking about with elected officials who say, yes, we're going to subject you to all this, but we're not going to let it happen to us at all. And I knew that I could expose the hypocrisy by doing this. So I made this threat. A couple days go by. And it is now the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, and I am an observant Jew. As an observant Jew, I do not have access to my phone, email, internet, anything for the length of a holiday. So Yom Kippur was 25 hours long, which meant for 25 hours you could not get a hold of me. I was out of commission. I was at synagogue the whole time. I was fasting the whole time. I was with my family. What I didn't know was what was transpiring while I was out of commission. So the holiday ends 25 hours later, and as usual, like I do, I go home with my family, I go upstairs, I check my phone, and there are literally hundreds of missed calls, hundreds of missed calls, and emails, and Facebook messages. And I'm like thinking, what the hell happened? Did some disaster happen with my business while I was gone? Did somebody die? What's going on? And I find out that over the holiday of Yom Kippur, somebody had towed an RV to a city council member's house in West Seattle by the name of Lisa Herbold and left it there overnight. Naturally, everybody assumed that I did it because what happened was that night, right after it got dropped, actually while it was getting dropped, somebody, somebody took a picture of it and sent it out to the Twitterverse, and everybody immediately said, Ari Hoffman did this. The people who sent it out said, Ari Hoffman's responsible for this. Ari Hoffman did this. He has lost his mind. Look what he's actually done. He stole property. He sent this thing out, and he towed it, and he took it from some poor homeless person, and he dropped it in front of Lisa Herbold's house as a political stunt. There's only one problem. I had nothing to do with it whatsoever. Now, what may have helped these guys was a couple days beforehand when I called the Seattle Police Department and said, if you guys don't do this, I'm going to do this. They said, are you really serious about this? I said, yes, I am. And they came down and actually towed the RVs near my office that had been sitting there for two months. And I just took a video of that and posted it online. And everybody thought that I had actually towed that RV when, in fact, the Seattle police were just doing their jobs and getting rid of the RV that had been here for two months. So that was just amazing. That was just priceless and awesome. <laughs> I'm just laughing about it right now, thinking about it. So I have a call. The first call I returned was to a reporter from the Seattle Times who had been trying very, very hard 
to get a hold of me. What I did not know was that the Seattle Times had already written several versions of an article that they kept updating and updating and updating as they got more and more facts. So they didn't wait for the facts to come out. They didn't wait to talk to me. They just ran with this article. And it turned out this reporter, Scott Greenhouse, was sourcing Greenstone, Greenhouse, whatever, you can find him. This guy was actually sourcing his leads from Twitter. So as opposed to waiting for the facts, as opposed to digging into the facts, as opposed to finding out what's actually happening, he's believing what people write on Twitter. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, they used to run these classes all the time for us that told us never listen to anything you see on the Internet. When did it become that everything on the Internet is now true and you have to take it at face value rather than you should really hunt down your sources and find out what's going on? Regardless. So I talked to him. I tell him I had nothing to do with it. I was in synagogue the whole time. What I didn't know also is that the Dory Monson show was live for three hours as it was every other day. And that Dory was covering this RV because the Seattle Times reporter had also called Cairo News, Cairo Radio. I was talking to Dory Monson about, did you guys have anything to do with it? Because I made my threat very clearly on their show. And... Dory Monson sent a reporter down to find out what was going on with the RV. So while I'm in synagogue that day from 12 to 3, this is all happening. Dory Monson sends a reporter named Carolyn Osario down to find out what's going on with the RV. And everybody assumed this was an abandoned RV. Dory on his show is saying, no way this was Ari Hoffman. I know he's an observant Jew. I know he's in synagogue. He had nothing to do with it. I didn't have anything to do with it. We don't know what's going on. And the reporter goes down, Carolyn goes down, and is checking out the RV. And in the process, she is taking pictures, and she even enters the RV. Because we all assume that this is some junker left behind by who knows whoever, and it's just sitting there on the streets. A listener of Dory Monson's comes down and spray paints Dory for governor, listen to 97.3 FM on the trailer, assuming that's one of these broken down RVs. The council member is sending out emails saying that this is a political stunt. Let's just remember this. Right now, it is already pretty clear for anybody who does any research whatsoever. On my Facebook page, it said I was unavailable because of the holiday. Dory Monson saying it wasn't Ari Hoffman because of the holiday. I cannot be reached. So that pretty much backs up the fact that it was the holiday. And anybody who knows me knows that if I had actually done this, there would have been video and pictures of it everywhere because that's the kind of guy I am. I video everything that I do and I put it out there so that way you can see it and it exposes the hypocrisy of Seattle. And I've been silent for hours. So the reporter enters the RV and hangs out to do her due diligence. And what does she find out? This RV is owned by somebody who bought it for his children who are currently living with him so that they can go out to a property and settle in with this RV. This RV was filled with garbage. It was disgusting. His plan was to fix it up, and they were going to live on a property. And everybody assumed this couple was homeless and that they're living in the RV. And then the council member says, oh, well, they can stay in my driveway, and we have to be compassionate. These are just our unsheltered neighbors, and this really shouldn't have happened. We need to help them out. And one of the bloggers who started the whole thing started a fundraiser for them because they're this poor, unfortunate, homeless family, and if they just had a hand up, they'd be okay, and Ari Hoffman's the devil. That's pretty much what happened all this. So I go to a, a forum that night for it happened to be for Seattle City Council candidates. That council member was in an election and it was for the police officers guild. And I walk in 
And everybody assumed I had something to do with it. So they're all cracking up and laughing that I'm there. I'm like, guys, I had nothing to do with this whatsoever. It was actually even a question at the forum about the RVs regarding all this. So this story becomes front page of the Seattle Times. This story becomes all the rage in Seattle because something I say about the Seattle media, while I love the Seattle media and they're wonderful people for the most part, Seattle is still a small town. So usually on the news you hear one or two headline stories and then it's about baby animals at the zoo and if it's going to rain or not tomorrow. That's the crux of Seattle news because there's really not much going on. We have a baseball team that's lousy. We have a football team that's good, but they're only around a couple months out of the year. We have a soccer team that's good, but I don't know that many people that watch soccer. I mean, I know it's one of the hugest sports and everybody loves it. I'm not one of them. And we don't really have a hockey team yet. We don't have a basketball team. So there's not really much to talk about here going on aside from the weather and baby animals at the zoo. As we dug into this, we found out more and more and more about what caused it. So, first of all, the council member has a house in North Bend that is in their husband's name. This house in West Seattle is in their name. So they spend a lot of their time at this house in North Bend, which means this council member does not actually live in the area which she represents and subjects everybody in that area to her policies and she doesn't have to deal with them herself because she can always zip off to North Bend anytime she feels like it. I don't know how often she spends time there, but she wasn't there the night this happened. Let's start with that. So somebody sent her a picture, allegedly, according to her, of this RV being dropped in front of her house. The interesting thing is this exact picture ended up in the hands of a blogger who hates my guts, despises me as an open anti-Semite, and he sent it out to the Twitterverse. This blogger, who is a supporter of Antifa, and I spoke about this in last week's episode, contacted the council member and they were discussing this picture. And in fact, they're actually, because I did a public disclosure request and got their text messages, there's a conversation which then he says, okay, we're going to call each other and gives the phone number so they could talk to each other about how to approach this whole thing. So the council member is the one who got the word out about what was going on here along with this blogger and it blew up from there. What's interesting is the next morning the council member realized because of some of the text with this blogger they admit in this text stream that I may not have had anything to do with it because of the Jewish holiday. If it happened after sundown, Ari had nothing to do with it. And the picture very clearly shows this thing being dropped at night. You see the guy detaching the trailer with a U-Haul at night. Something else funny about this picture is these people have often mocked the fact that I have a company that has trucks. Never mind the fact that one of the trucks is a hybrid. Okay, we'll put that aside. And the trailer was towed with a U-Haul. If I was going to tow this trailer, I would not need a U-Haul because I have trucks of my own. And I even said I had my own tow trucks. I even said I have my own trucks that I can handle this. I got friends with tow trucks. But no, they don't want to hear the facts. They just want to frame it however they want to frame it. So this U-Haul drops the thing off. They have inklings that it may not be me, but they are decidedly geared towards blaming me. So this picture goes out into the Twitterverse, and everybody's saying it's Ari Hoffman. This blogger's saying it's Ari Hoffman. This council member is drafting statements, according to emails that I got from the city, these public disclosure emails, is drafting statements saying it was a political stunt because they're getting so many media requests and so many people, so many constituents emailing them saying, holy cow, did you see what happened? Ha ha, finally you know what it's like to have these things in front of your house. Here's something else. Why is it such a big deal? 
They claimed I was harassing them and messing with them, and this was awful. If they are just our unsheltered neighbors and only poor people, as the city council claims they are, then what's the big deal? Why do you care that these things are in front of your house? If they're just people down on their luck, then help them out. Why are you so worried about it? Hypocrisy was 100% exposed in this. So the council member herself had something to do with this picture going online. This blogger had something to do with the picture going online. And they knew all the time that I may not be responsible for it. You check the timestamps. They knew before they started sending these things out that I may not have anything to do with it. But it gets better. That night, the council member decided to text the chief of police of Seattle, Carmen Best. <laughs> so Lisa Herbold contacts Carmen Best and says, this thing popped up in front of my house. It might be stolen property. You should arrest the person who did it, who stole it, and get rid of this thing in front of my house. And my favorite is the response of police chief Carmen Best. Who is this? Because <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't have a council member's number on her phone. So the council member went to the chief of police to try and get this thing towed and try to get me arrested. This is the absolute best part of this. You know, when these things pop up in front of my house, I can't call the police chief to say, hey, this thing showed up in front of my house. Can you get rid of it? No, I have to go through the non-emergency number. Or I have to call 911 if they're breaking into my property and hope that somebody shows up. But a council member, oh, they can call the police chief and have this taken care of. The police chief, to her credit, told... <laughs> I'm just laughing at the thought is told the council member that they have to call the non-emergency line and get this taken care of. So the police chief kept themselves out of this and didn't give preferential treatment, which is just absolutely great. That's probably one of the best parts of the story. The council member files a police report in the Find It Fix It app saying that this thing was dropped because of a political stunt and then finds out later who this couple actually was. Let's dig into this family who dropped this RV from us. So everybody's claiming they're this homeless family. No, they're actually not. They were living with their father. There is the father, there is the daughter, and there is her boyfriend. So we're just going to say father, daughter, boyfriend. Boyfriend got daughter pregnant, even though they claim they had no place to live, even though they were living with dad. Dad recently lost his job, and daughter and boyfriend aren't working right now. And these people, I actually reached out to them once we had the contact information for them, and I said, send me your resume. I'll try to send it out. The dad sent me his resume. I sent it out. It wasn't really in any of the companies I could hire for, so I sent it out to my business contacts. I did not follow up with whether or not he got the job. Girlfriend and boyfriend never sent me never sent me their resumes, anything like that. So these may be people who are down on their luck of their own choice. Later on, once this blogger ran his fundraiser to try to appear so compassionate, I just want to help these people out. Oh, my God, we just need to help them. Yeah, they took the money and they went shopping for dogs. They went to dog breeders because they told me that's what they were going to do with it. So all of you who donated the money, thinking you were helping out this poor couple, they used it on getting dogs to live with them in the trailer with their baby out of wedlock on whatever property. Now, here's something else. Because the uh, council member who claims to be so compassionate just wants to please stay in my driveway. Please move the RV into my driveway. I'm happy to have you there. Yeah, police came and towed the thing. She didn't have him stay in the driveway. She didn't have him stay in her house. So this whole show of trying to be compassionate, it's all nonsense. She had the thing towed. So she comes off looking as the good guy because, oh, I'm just a victim of Ari Hoffman and the awful thing he did. And this couple comes off as, oh, we're homeless and we're down on our luck. No, you aren't working by choice and you spent money that was fundraised for you on dog breeders. And this whole mess, this blogger's like, Ari Hoffman did it. No, you knew well, damn well, that I had nothing to do with it. 
because he even said so in this text thread. The more we find out about this, the more we find out this was an abuse of power. So what did I do? I filed an ethics complaint. I filed an ethics complaint with the Seattle Elections Commission against the council member. When these texts surfaced between the police chief and uh, Lisa Herbold, through a public disclosure request by a radio talk show host named Jason Rance, I sent those over right away. Here's something interesting. I filed this um, ethics violation a couple days after the incident happened, which is in October, and the election was coming up in November. They didn't take it up till November, and they didn't investigate it till December, and they didn't come to any conclusions until February. So yesterday, they worked out some kind of plea deal with Lisa Herbold that she was guilty of abusing her power by trying to contact the police chief and had to pay a $500 fine. And I went to the hearing. This was the quickest brush it under the rug, move on as if it never happened thing. They didn't take into account the emails that show that she was telling people it was me. They didn't take into account the texts that says that they were blaming me or that she was working with these bloggers. None of that did they cover at all. And I'm wondering why. Is it because they don't want to show that there's a link between a sitting council member and extreme activists who are anti-Semitic? Is it because they didn't show that this council member is actually abusing her power in many other ways, not just the police chief, but using her staff to create a media release that says it was a private citizen's fault who had nothing to do with it whatsoever, and that she was using power of the office to disseminate this information to the public? No, apparently that's not an abuse of power. People will do whatever it takes to keep their power position. People do whatever it takes to stay in power. And this is just beyond the pale. This is just beyond the pale. In the end, it's more entertaining to me than anything else, but it's not entertaining to everybody. Carolyn Osorio, the reporter who went down to the RV, lost her job at Cairo. They needed somebody to blame, and she got the blame for it because she went into the RV. Should she have gone into the RV? Probably not. Did she get caught up in what we all assumed was another one of these broken-down homeless RVs on the streets? Yes. Would I have entered the RV? Probably. Because these things are so frequently in our neighborhoods that we just assume they're these broken-down things being inhabited by drug addicts and thieves. Why do they have more rights than us? Why do they get to live wherever they want? If I want to, I could take an RV. We park it right outside uh, CenturyLink Field, so I have a great spot for the Seahawks games. Can't tell me. I got a parking ticket a little while ago, and I actually wrote in response. I could have written, here's the receipt that shows I paid for my parking. No, I decided to write, this vehicle is my residence. You were supposed to give me 72-hour notice in order to move, and then I had to have longer than that in order to collect my things, and you need to send the nav team. I wrote this whole thing. I got off of the parking ticket. Meanwhile, they sent the parking ticket to my house, which means they know I have another address. This is how messed up our system here has become. And we are not the only city going through this. I've heard of other cities like Los Angeles where these RVs are popping up everywhere because they know they can get away with the exact same thing. In Seattle, we are operating at 60% of police capacity, which means we don't have enough cops to cover the area, which means they cannot do what they need to do in order to get rid of these things because they have real crimes to deal with. So a city council member abused their power. A blogger made up stuff. And this couple is typical of what you find in Seattle, people who just can't get their act together no matter how much help is provided to them. A reporter lost her job. Forever now, my name in the Internet is linked to RV gates with these RVs dropping everywhere. That's what actually happened. So when you hear these different versions of these stories, we have the documents, we have the public disclosure requests, we have everything in order to prove what actually happened. This was blown out of proportion by 
activist bloggers by the internet. The Seattle Times did not have all the facts when they ran their story. Even when they ran their big summary story of what happened, they didn't have all the facts. The reporter called me the other day to get comment on Lisa Herbold's um, fine and penalties. And I said to the reporter in question, I said, do you think that maybe you should check your sources before you run a story like this? And the reporter got very testy with me and said, I'm the one conducting the interview. This is my interview. I ask the questions. I'm thinking to myself, that's a great way to get stuff out of somebody you want an interview for. I've never had a reporter talk to me like that before, and I've spoken to a lot of reporters, especially when I was running for office. They never lost their temper with me before, so I think this guy knew he was in the wrong. What's interesting is some local uh, media outlets chose not to cover this until they had all the facts, which was the smart thing to do, because once they had all the facts, they find out, no, there's a lot more going on here, rather than jumping to conclusions based on Twitter trolls. When you base your reporting on Twitter trolls and not actual sources, you're going to get burned. That's what happened to the Seattle Times. That's what happened to a lot of these other sites. And they deserve it because they didn't do their research on what was actually happening. I understand it's breaking news and you want to be the first to cover it, but look at what they did to people. So this couple, even if they're down on their luck and even if they can't get their act together, it doesn't mean they deserve to have their RV spray painted by somebody. It doesn't mean they deserve to have their faces splattered all over the front of the Seattle Times. This whole thing got blown out of proportion because of the council member talking to an Internet blogger who is an anti-Semite. And that is what happened. That is the full story behind RVGate. But this shows you something else. One, these RVs, if they aren't already in your city, they will be in your city because they have found this loophole in order to operate. And the free market always triumphs. So these ranchers, the guys who are buying these things at auction and dropping them off, have found a way to make money off homeless people down on their luck when they're renting these things out to them. Yeah, the free market always finds a way to make a profit. Maybe I'm in the wrong business. Maybe I should start a tow truck company, and I should become one of these ranchers to drop these things all over town, and then the police department will pay me to move them when they actually get towed. <laughs> I can corner the market and have both of them. Plus, I already have all the free advertising. If you want to tow it, Ari Hoffman's going to tow it for you. It's a sad, sad state of affairs that they let these people be on the streets and they can break into wherever they want. They can leave needles wherever they want. They can harass citizens, businesses, and nobody's going to do anything about it because they're just our unsheltered neighbors. That is the real story behind our VGate. If you have any questions, you can message me through our Facebook page. You can see what happens when a city council member abuses their power, when you have one party rule and they are not held accountable because a $500 fine for messing with all these people and causing this whole media controversy, in my opinion, is not enough. If they want to get mad about what's going on nationally with abuses of power, this is a prime example of an abuse of power and you get off with a $500 fine. Shameful absolutely shameful. If you have any questions, you can message me through our Facebook page and Twitter. You can find me at The Father. You can also talk to me on Anchor website. We stream all this off of. Remember that you can always send in questions you have about the show. You can always have ideas for the show. Remember to subscribe.